Thank you. You can be seated. Being a, being a mom is more than just giving birth, you know. That's, that's enough agony. But you got to raise them, too. You got to coach them. You got to guide them. You got to wipe their tears and, and all of that. So my, my hat, if I had one on, would go off to you uh, this morning. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, which, you know, a proverb is a wise saying. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. And uh, in the last, the very last chapter, chapter 31, uh, it starts out like this. This is verse 1 of Proverbs 31. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. And then he goes on, he talks about motherhood. And in verses 10 through 31, it's a large section. He gives us a, a teaching that we call... Uh, the virtuous woman. It's about the example of what a good wife should be, a good wife mom. And it, it talks about how her arms are strong because she has all these things she has to do. Talks about her getting up before the sun comes up to make sure everybody in her family has something to eat. Talks about her husband. And the only thing it says about the husband is he sits at the city gate. That's all he's doing. And he trusts her to go out and buy property. He just trusts her. This is, this is not the typical Christian housewife that we hear uh, talked about in church circles. She's a go-getter, and he lets her go get him. Amen. <laughs> so if you want to read about that, that's Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And, and what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to get to is no virtuous, and virtue means good, no good woman is going to spend 20 verses bragging about what a hard worker she is. This was not her words. This is things his mother taught him by her example. Which makes me wonder, I wonder what your mother taught you by her example. Maybe when you get uh, into a conversation with mom today, whether it's on the phone or you sit down over a meal, and you're having this, this uh, uh, Mother's Day get-together, maybe that would be a good question to bring up at the table. What did mom teach you by her example? I think that would help honor her and would, would help all of us be thinking in that direction. So, I'm not going to preach about that, but I thought being Mother's Day, I'd point that out. What we are going to do today is we're going to look at part three of this series we're looking at um, called You Should Know Better, where we're not scolding people for not knowing, but we just want to bring to our awareness that there are certain things we as Christians are supposed to already know. These are basic foundational truths uh, that we should know. And I want to look at three of them uh, in the time we have this morning. Uh, the first one, let me just start with the scripture and then I'll give you the blanks to fill in. This is Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. 
we should be able to recognize the signs of the times that we are in today. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to look at our culture, at the world around us, to see the signs of the times. Signs are hints of coming attractions. Things, this is a hint that we should recognize something's coming down the pike. Something's coming. We should recognize that. My mother had certain signs that she would give without having to use any words. One of them, us kids, we called it the evil eye. You know, mom had a certain way she would look at you, and you knew she had just drawn a line, and you better not cross that line. Another sign she would give that I knew what was coming is she would say, you just wait till your father gets home. I knew there was trouble coming. I didn't fear my mom, but I did fear my dad because his punishment hurt a lot worse than mom's. And then the other sign she had was this hairbrush. It had bristles on the one side that felt pretty good. And it was smooth on the other side that didn't feel so good. It was about the size of a ping pong paddle and she knew how to swing that thing. And it put a sting on my backside. All she had to do was get the hairbrush out and I knew. Trouble. She never brings that out of the bedroom until I'm in trouble. We also, we, there are natural signs, and I think this is something we're really losing in our culture. We don't, most of us could not look at a tree and figure out which way is north, west, south, just by looking at the tree. But our ancestors who lived in the wilderness could figure out what direction north was just by looking at a tree. Moss only grows on the north side of a tree. The prevailing winds are from the west, and the largest roots are always on the west side, holding the tree up. The branches are always a little longer and fill out a little bit more on the south side where the sun is. Our ancestors knew all that stuff, and they just take one look at a tree someplace, and they knew exactly which direction they were going. We lean on the weather channel to know what the weather is, don't we? We don't, have, we, we don't know how to read this, the sky like our ancestors did. We watch the Weather Channel or Weatherbug, as I, as I have on my phone. And we learn, we, we do need to learn to recognize the signs of the times. We need to recognize, we should, we should be spiritually mature enough to recognize that there's a time to pray aggressively. I, I, I understand everybody should be praying all the time. We should be in an attitude of prayer all the time. We shouldn't have to leave our machine or leave what we're doing for an income to go find some place to pray. There should be an attitude of prayer that just rolls through us. But there's also a time where we recognize this is, this is, this is an attack of the enemy. This is an onslaught, a whole truckload of trouble all dumped on me all at the same time. I can't handle it all. There needs to be a time when we recognize that. There's 
common, ordinary obstacles we have to get over on a daily basis. And then there's the spiritual attack. And we need to be able to recognize that when it comes. We should also recognize the signs that it's time to volunteer. You know what volunteer means? You do something without pay. You do something because here's a need and I'm going to fix the need. Only people who take ownership in a church, this is my church, only people who take ownership will want to step out of their way and fix a problem. If you don't take ownership, well, that's, that's not my problem, that's their problem. Well, when it becomes my church, it becomes my problem. When I recognize somebody left a coffee cup here from the last service, if it's my church, I don't want people to see that. I'm going to pick that coffee cup up and help it find a trash can. Amen. If it's not my church, that's somebody else's problem. If I see there's, a, there, there's, there's something that it, the church is missing that it's not doing well at and I recognize it, I need to recognize that's because God showed it to me. I'm the best first person to fix it. I need to step up and volunteer and help in that capacity and help that aspect of ministry be everything God wants it to be. We need to recognize when God shows us this stuff, other people aren't seeing it. But He showed me. So therefore, I need to act on it. That's why God let me know. We also need to recognize that there's a time to be quiet, to shut up, to zip it, to bite my tongue. You can think these things, but you're not going to help anybody to speak that out. Just be quiet and pray about it. The church has, the, I'm not talking about New Hope, but the church in general has way too many gossips that have a prayer request to share that really is destructive of someone's character, someone's life. We need to learn when to keep quiet, keep our mouth shut. Somebody say amen. amen. So the topic that we're dealing with here, if we read the, in the context of the scripture we just read, his, his topic is the last days. And by the last days, he means when God is about to close the book, when God is about to bring everything to an end, when Jesus is about to come back, when there's this massive ar battle of Armageddon that brings closure to God's relationship with man here on the earth. Can we recognize the signs of the times? Can we recognize in our culture, in our society, that things have, are, are moving rapidly that direction? I'm not going to announce my age to you, but I've been around enough decades. I have seen our culture, our society in the United States take a dramatical turn. Have you seen it? I see the signs of the times. Maybe younger people who haven't seen that transition can't see it, but I see a radical change, and some of those changes are good. Like my ability to get a quick answer 
with this gizmo. Get on my smartphone and Google anything I want to know, and in just a minute, I've got the answers. I don't have to run to the library and sort through reference books anymore. Somebody else has done it for me and put it online. I kind of like that aspect of change in our culture. But I fear for my grandchildren and their children. I fear for the next generation. When I was a, when I was a boy, most of the time, my mom didn't know where I was. Some of you can remember those days. And she didn't care. Not that she didn't care about us. She wasn't worried about it. You could get on your bicycle and ride all over town. I fear for my grandkids. Something's changed in our culture. Something evil has crept in that's made us want to hide out in our houses and not interact with people because we're afraid of them. There are people who are literally afraid to go to a church anywhere because they're afraid some nut will come in with a weapon and try to make a name for him or herself. It's a different world we live in, and we have to serve God in it. We can't stick our head in the sand and try to hide and hope it goes away. Can you read the signs around you? That's the first thing. We should be able to recognize what's happening in our world. Here's the second thing. We should know it's all in the family. You can write that down in your blank. It's all in the family. God wants us to see ourselves as a family. He said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right, and that word means righteous, is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Notice he gives us a double negative here. He's not talking about what, what we should do to recognize a child of God, but what we, what we shouldn't do, because that identifies we're children of the devil. Now that may seem like he's just name-calling here, but we need to recognize that all of us in this room and everybody in Waterloo and DeKalb County and Indiana and beyond, we are all children of the devil in the sense that we're descendants of Adam and Eve who have fallen. We're all sinners. We all have this propensity to rebel against God and do the wrong thing. We all do, without exception. God understood we were hopeless, so he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to identify with us sinners, to identify with this life. And in the end, he went to the cross, he sacrificed his own life so that you and I could live. The innocent shed his blood to pay the price for the guilty. That's our redemption. That's what we base our salvation on, not in the fact we got baptized, joined the church, said a sinner's prayer. It's what Jesus did for us. It's not what I do for him. That's right. Amen. 
We see this? It's all in the family. And here in this room, if we just look around, we'll see how many different clothing styles we have, how many different hairstyles. If you look in the parking lot, you see so many different automobile styles that we each chose when we bought it. We are a diverse group. The only thing we have in common is we have a Redeemer who gave his life so that we could live. So we can't get ourselves divided over things that don't matter. And when it comes to our relationship with God Almighty, who you voted for for president doesn't matter. What you believe politically doesn't matter as it relates to your relationship to God. Heard one of the one of the presidential candidates just last week saying, "I cannot imagine God being a Republican." It wasn't that long ago I heard somebody else say, "I can't imagine God being a Democrat." Maybe we need to stop imagining what God, that God is made in our image. And we need to recognize he wants us to be made in his image. Amen. We're family. Why, why is it, I don't, I don't understand this. Maybe you can explain it to me. Why is it when somebody says she's just like her mother, it's a compliment. But when somebody says he's just like his father, it's not. <laughs> Why is that? Are guys naturally bad and, and gals naturally good? I, I, don't, I don't know. Notice these are negatives. The, the scripture we just read was a, was a negative here. He who does not do what is right is a child of the devil. That's the default position. I'm not supposed to be the way I used to be. I'm supposed to be born again. I'm supposed to have insight now. I'm supposed to have a spiritual direction in my life moving me in a positive way. And people are supposed to recognize it. People should look at my life and recognize I'm a child of God, not a child of the devil. The scripture he just gave us says you're supposed to look at my life and be able to evaluate that. I'm supposed to be able to look at your life and evaluate if you're a child of God or a child of the devil. So we need to be careful how we behave. Because everybody's watching. Maybe you didn't know that. But others are watching you. You are a model. A model of what? That's the question. And then he says, he that does not love his brothers and sisters is still a child of the devil. Brothers and sisters, that's interesting. The only thing we have in common is one common father, Father God, who loves us enough to give his own son so that we could be adopted in as sons and daughters. That's the gospel. And we're in the family. Now, when he says we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters, that's not the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. You know, when you got somebody that they think like you think and, and you just like getting together and you just kind of encourage each other, that's brotherly love. 
agape goes way beyond that. Agape is a, is a Greek word that is almost exclusively used in Christian circles. It's not something that was used in Greek secular literature, but a couple of times. It's almost always referring to the way you and I treat one another. And we're supposed to know this. We're supposed to love our brothers and sisters. Agape. Agape doesn't, doesn't mean brotherly love. Agape means God's love. It's a commitment love. It means I'm going to stand with you no matter what you do back, no matter how you treat me, no matter what you do to me, no matter how badly you treat me, I'm going to keep helping you become a better person. That's commitment. That's agape. And we're supposed to have that relationship with one another. And I need reminded of that because not everybody in the Lord's church is likable. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Amen. Some people just, just kind of grate us. They're, they're great with a T. Great. <laughs> grind on us. So we're not talking about liking our brothers and sisters. We're talking about being committed to our brothers and sisters. And you can't be committed to your brothers and sisters when you get your feelings hurt and decide you're going to give up on church. So many people have done that. That's clear sign that we're still children of the devil, that we haven't truly been redeemed. We might have got baptized, said a sinner's prayer, raised our hand someplace, but it's a clear sign we didn't get it. It was like an inoculation it didn't take. I'll share this, this story. I'm, I'm a history buff, so every now and then I come across a, with a, I come upon a story that I didn't know that got some spiritual implication in it. And this is one of those. During World War II, Germany was divided among denominations just like the United States is today. People went to this church because they believed that emphasis. They went to another church because that was the emphasis they liked. Well, Adolf Hitler saw he had some problems with the diversity of, of denominations in his country. So he ordered all the churches to unite. That sounds like a great thing, doesn't it? He ordered them all to unite, which caused some real problems. The reason he wanted them to unite is because he wanted to control what they were teaching. One of the major denominations in Germany is the Church of the Brethren. How many of you have some connection with Church of the Brethren? You were raised there, you once went there. Okay, a couple of us. Uh, you know then that the church, one of the major tenets of faith of the Church of the Brethren is pacifism. They do, they, they are not supportive of war because you're killing. They're, they're pacifists. Uh, the, the Amish come from old order German Baptist church, which is Church of the Brethren today. And so the church was divided because half of the Church of the Brethren in Germany said, well, we're supposed to submit to the governing powers that God's put over us. So if this is the order to, un to unite, this is what we'll do. The other half of the Church of the Brethren said, we see our country going in a very hostile direction and we don't like it. 
And so they refused to submit to that and came under intense persecution. So much so that by the end of World War II, there was almost no United Brethren churches that, that were resistant that didn't have somebody serving in a concentration camp someplace. The government got so involved in that. So the church that was one denomination and one had one common faith was seriously divided. When the war was over, everything was supposed to get back to normal and everybody was trying to rebuild the destroyed country and come up with some kind of civility, establish a new government. And the Church of the Brethren knew that they were seriously divided. So they came together for a, a leadership conference. We'd call it a pastor's conference where the leaders got together and strategized. And they spent three days discussing, pers personal discussion, not just listening to a speaker, but they had interacted on what should be the future of the Church of the Brethren. And half of the church said, we don't want to work with you. We want, let's split our denomination, have two and the other, the other side said, that's not going to be good enough. So they spent three days discussing, praying, fasting, seeking God. At the end of the three days, they got together this big, at this big conference, and they had a vote. And the vote was almost unanimous. We're going to forgive and rebuild. You can't rebuild without forgiving. When somebody has hurt you, Deeply, when somebody has abandoned you, when somebody has cut you off and made you feel left out, you've got to forgive them. The world is full of people who made a decision. I should say our country is full of people who once upon a time made a decision for Jesus Christ at a church someplace or a VBS or a church camp. And they got their feelings hurt and they refused to forgive. And now you don't see them anyplace. How is that loving your brothers and sisters? And that is a key indicator of whether we're still a child of the devil or whether we've trans transitioned over and become a child of God. Now, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about you because you're here today on Mother's Day. I guess I'm exasperated with the gospel not taking better root in the lives of so many people. Or maybe it's not... I'm frustrated with the gospel not taking root, but leaders not leading those people when they're in their infancy on how they should follow the Lord. Okay, so that, those are two things. First, we should know about recognizing signs of the times. The second thing we should know is we should know it's all in the family. We're in the family of God. And here's the third thing. We should know how to care for the children. Every mother knows how to care for her child, or every mother should know how to care for her child. But when I'm talking about children, John defines that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Three things he tells us we should know here. First thing is we should know we should love each other. That's the word agape. Being committed, selfless, unconditional, 
love toward one another. And 1 John, chapter, 1 John 3, 16 uh, tells us how to do that. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He's not asking us to go out and sacrifice our life so somebody else can live. He is asking for us to make a sacrifice in our lives so that others can live. In other words, he's not asking me to die. He's asking me to live and live a life of giving, live a life of investing in others, live a life of, of uh, commitment to one another in the body of Christ. That's what he's asking us to do. It's Christ's example of laying down his life so that we could live. Therefore, he says, we should lay down our selfish desires, our selfish ambition, the things that we want so someone else can flourish. I like to think, I like to dream about what the world could be if every last person invested in someone else. And instead of trying to get something for ourselves, we were always trying to give away and invest in someone else. If everybody did that, if the whole church was like that, what would it look like? A whole lot different than what we see today in our, in our country. Amen. So we should know we should love each other. The second thing he says we should know here is we should love the Father. Love God. As I said a little bit ago, the only thing we have in common in here is God. He's our Father. And just as we honor mothers on Mother's Day, we should honor Father God on His day, which is really every day, everything in my life. We should know to love the Father. And the third thing we know here is we know to keep the commandments. We should know to keep the Father's commandments. You know, we're not talking about the Mosaic law here. We're talking about the Spirit lives inside of us and the Spirit of God will speak to us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. He will tell us that. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to hear that still small voice say, ah, 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 don't do that. You don't have to hear the words, you just feel a check on the inside. Don't do that. And then there's other times when you feel a prompting. It's called a commandment in here, but it's really just a prompting. And if I don't pay attention, if I'm not tuned right into the right channel, I will miss the prompting. And it's the prompting that if I will obey and do what he's telling me to do, then he brings blessing in my life. He prospers me. But I've got to move in that direction. I've got to do what he wants me to do. Amen? Amen? These are three things we're supposed to already know. These are supposed to be basic fundamentals of our faith. A little bit ago, as we were worshiping, we learned a new song about being gracefully broken. Those two terms don't go together, you know? They're contrasts. Graceful and broken? When things get broken, it's usually pretty jagged. It's usually pretty rough. Nothing graceful about being broken. But God 
is graceful when he breaks us. You see, we are like wild stallions. But nobody can ride a wild stallion till it's been broken. So what's a cowboy do with a wild stallion? He breaks its stubborn will. He breaks its selfishness. He breaks its self-ambition. First time I sang that song was last night in Saturday night service. And as we were singing it and I was reflecting on the words and I thought, God is graceful in breaking us only if we let him. If we don't let him, then it's a pretty jagged brokenness. And I felt as I was singing, I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, there's somebody in our church who is being broken. There is somebody who something important to you is being broken. I don't, I don't know if it's your health, if it's finances, relationship. I don't know. Something in your life is, is breaking right now. You're going through something that's a breaking and if you will allow God to apply His grace to this situation, you can be gracefully broken. Because you can't be resurrected till you've died. Right? There has to be a death for there to be a resurrection. And we want to be restored. And you can't restore something if it wasn't together in the first place. You can't bring it back to where it used to be unless it used to be something. So God wants to restore us, renew us, bring us back, empower us, make us everything He wants us to be. Let's stand together. So if you are the person that you can say, that's me, I'm, I'm being broken, I'm going through something devastating, I'm going through something really scary, I'm going through something really big in my own life, know that God wants to gracefully break you so that He can rebuild you, so that He can renew you, so He can bring you back to where He wants you to be. That's His business. That's what God does. Why else would He send His own Son to identify with us to redeem us? He doesn't, he doesn't just want to save us so we can go to heaven when we die. He wants to give us life and that more abundantly right now. In this life, down here, in this place. So think about what that would look like if God would really resurrect you and bring you back to where He wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the men and women standing in this room. Some being broken. Lord, I, I remember when I was broken. Didn't feel good. And I didn't deal with it well. And I reacted very negatively. But Lord, today I know something I didn't know back then. I know you're a grace giver. And I know you love me. And I know you only want to bring the best out of me. And you are always a good God. And Father, I pray that you would restore goodness to every person being broken right now. You'll heal, 
restore and help us to forgive. Don't let our unforgiveness and our hostility or our regrets keep us from where you want us to be. Bring us to new life. I'm praying in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God is good, isn't he? All the time.